Now, some of the things on that list you probably would have assumed and you expect, like lying and murder and evil in various forms. But the very first thing on the list of six things that God hates is haughty eyes, which is a form of pride. There are other proverbs that talk about pride and describe pride as something that is destructive, something that is divisive, something that causes disgrace and quarrels in relationships. Here's the scary thing about pride. You might have known that before I ever talked about pride, but the scary thing with pride is that it can hide. Pride is something that can hide in our minds, it can hide in our hearts, and it can motivate attitudes and actions and words and behaviors, and we don't even know that it's happening. I was... I was riding my bike recently, and I was on this bike path that was kind of up and down and winding back and forth, and I came around a, a blind curve. And at the same time, there were these two young ladies also riding bikes in the opposite direction, and we came around the same blind curve at the same time. I didn't see them coming, and when they came around the curve, I locked up my brakes and went clean out over my handlebars. And I landed on my back, on my shoulder, scraped up a little bit, bike on top of me. And the two young ladies stopped and they said, oh, are you okay, old man? They didn't say old man, but that's how I felt. And I said, yeah, I'm fine. I was just checking the brakes. They weren't great. And I got on my bike as quickly as possible and left the scene. I know there's at least someone in the room that's wondering, okay, but is the bike all right? Is the bike? Yeah, the bike's okay. Uh, I Really, the only thing that got hurt in the whole thing was my pride. You may have fallen down at some point in your life. You may have stumbled over something, and when you stumble and you trip, you look around to see, did anybody see me do that? And when we fall, when we stumble like that, Really, the only thing that gets hurt is what we say our pride, my ego, my, my pride got hurt. That's not what we're talking about today. Because really, you could put that into a category of embarrassment. Embarrassment isn't normally something we would look at as a sin. Now, it could be, I suppose, if you kind of drug it out and made a big deal about it. But in the moment, to feel embarrassed is not... Uh, sinful, and that's not what we're talking about when we talk about pride and the problem with pride. We're not going to be talking about those of us who feel uh, a sense of pride when we look at our children or our grandchildren and some of the things maybe that they have accomplished and having a feeling of being proud of our kids or our grandkids. We're not talking about the idea of pride when it comes to take pride in your work. What do we mean by that? Well, taking pride in your work simply is a way of expressing that we want to do a good job, that we want to give it our best and have some satisfaction, that we, we did this job well and we gave it our best. That's what we mean when we say, take pride in your work. We're not talking about that today. The kind of pride we're talking about is sinful pride. It's the kind of pride that God hates. It's the kind of pride that lurks sometimes in, in the back of our minds or somewhere in the dark corner of our heart, and it, it likes to poke at things like, like anger. It likes to poke at things like selfishness and try to wake them up like a sleeping bear. 
Sometimes we don't even realize that it is happening. God hates sinful pride because it causes problems in our lives. It causes problems in our relationships with others. It causes distance between us and Him. This verse is up on the screen for you. It's Proverbs 16, 18. You probably have heard it before. If you've been around church any time in your life, you probably have heard this, that pride goes before destruction, that a haughty spirit goes before a fall. We might fall down and we might bruise our pride, but that's not what this verse is about. The sinful pride that this verse is describing is what causes us to fall spiritually. It's what causes us to fall morally. Could never happen to me. That's pride talking. The point of the proverb is that pride will lead us into dangerous places in life. And it's very possible that pride is doing damage to your life, to relationships in your life. It's doing damage, perhaps, to your relationship with God. It may be happening right now in your life, and it might be in the blind spot, the blind spot of your mind or your heart, and you don't see it happening. It could be infecting your attitude. It could be infecting your words, your social media presence, your relationships, your behaviors. But maybe you don't see it. So we're going to talk about that today as we wrap up our series that we've been calling, What Would Jesus Undo? We've been asking this question, what are the things that Jesus would want to change in our hearts, in our lives? We talked about spiritual indifference, not really caring about the things that matter to God. Pastor Matt talked about hypocrisy. Last week I talked to you about empty worship. If you missed any of those, don't panic. You can get on our website and get caught up on those. Today, uh, we are going to finish up the series. We haven't exhausted all the things I'm sure that God would want to change in my life and in your life, but we're going to wrap up the series with this. We're going to talk about sinful pride. I know that Jesus would want to undo, that he would want to change the sinful pride in my heart and in yours. You know why I know that? Because he talks about it in the gospel of Luke. So I'm going to ask if you would open your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. Go ahead and get ready in Luke chapter 18. While you're finding that, let me a little more clearly define the kind of pride that we're talking about. Hallman's Bible Dictionary defines pride this way. I think it'll be on the screen. It's in the digital notes if you're following along there. Sinful pride is undue confidence in and attention to one's own skills, accomplishments, state possessions, or position. Sounds very scholarly, sounds like something you'd read out of a dictionary. If I could simplify it, I would simply say this, that sinful pride is the opposite of humility. Sinful pride is a rebellion against God. It's looking at our lives, our accomplishments, uh, the things that we have going on in our lives, and saying, I did that. I deserve the glory for that instead of giving glory to God, even when He's the one who clearly deserves the praise, the glory, the honor. Pride is what keeps us from admitting that we are wrong. It's what keeps us or makes us want to hesitate when we should say, I'm sorry. 
I don't know if you ever have a hard time with that, if you know, the words, I'm sorry, are almost like you want to vomit when they should come out of your mouth. Sinful pride is something that convinces us that losing an argument is tantamount to death. That's what pride would try to convince us of. Pride is what causes us to look down on other people. Especially when they fail. When they fail uh, morally, spiritually, whatever, they, they falter, they fail. Pride makes us feel good about that because we look better or we uh, see ourselves as superior to the person who just blew it. Pride does that. Sinful pride is what makes us feel good about the shortcomings and the failures in other people's lives. Pride is what turns our ears off. It turns off the ability to listen to someone else. Why? Well, because we already know the right answer. You just need to get on the same page. I don't know if you've ever gotten into an argument on social media. I'm going to save you a little bit of time. If you've ever been thinking, "Ah, I think I'd like to get into an argument on social media. If that's what you're thinking about doing this week, I'll save you some time. In the history of social media, there has never been anyone who looked at a post of a differing opinion and read it and said, huh, that's a really good point. I have changed my perspective. Has never happened, will never happen. You are wasting your time. Because we've already got our minds made up. How about this one? We have students in the room. We have students maybe watching our live stream this morning. Have you ever been disrespectful to your parents? Where does that come from? It's pride. Why do I have to listen to my mom or my dad? I already know the right answer. They just don't understand. They don't, they're not with it. They don't get it. That's pride. How about this? You're in an argument with someone. could be your spouse. And you go for the low blow. You said mm, the cringe-worthy thing that you shouldn't have said. Why? Because you couldn't possibly imagine losing this argument. The thought of it is unacceptable. Well, where's that come from? It's, it's pride. Sinful pride turns off our ears. It convinces us that everyone else is an idiot. No wonder God hates sinful pride. I mean, that's just a short description of some of the things that it does to damage our hearts, our lives, our relationships, our testimony. Here's the problem with pride. When we are full of ourselves, there's no room for God's grace. When we are full of ourselves, there is no room for God's grace. And Jesus talks about that in Luke chapter 18. He tells us a story. I'm going to draw your attention to verse 9. Jesus told this story to some, watch, who had great confidence in their own righteousness and they scorned everybody else. So we're not exactly sure who was in the audience that day or how many people were in the audience that day. But Jesus knew that there were some, maybe not all, but some in the audience listening who were filled with pride and they looked down on other people how did he know that? I read that. I'm thinking, okay, well, what's going on here? How, did, he, did he overhear some conversations in the room? Did he, did he uh, look at some people just the way they're carrying themselves and they look very arrogant? What, what was it? Listen, this is very important. We're going to need it now. 
We're going to come back to it later. Jesus sees your heart. Jesus sees the heart. Pride may very well be able to hide from me in my blind spot. It may be able to hide from you in your blind spot, but Jesus sees the heart. That's really, really important. What I'd like to do before we explore this story together is just take a minute and and a couple seconds and just pray and ask Jesus to reveal to us any blind spots in our hearts, in our minds, where pride might be hiding. Because if I can't see it and you can't see it, we know that Jesus can, and we need to know that it's there so that we can ask Him to remove it. Just take a couple seconds. I'm going to pray. You pray along silently. Lord, this is a big deal because pride can do a lot of damage, and we are asking that if if pride is hidden somewhere in, in our minds, in our hearts, lurking somewhere ready to poke at us and wake up things and other sinful uh, attitudes and words and behaviors, God, I pray that you would show it to us, that you would remove it. Well, thank you for that in Jesus' name. Verse 10, Jesus tells this story. There's some people that need to deal with pride in the room, and he tells the story of two men who went to the temple to pray. Well, that's a good thing, right? They went to the temple to pray, and one was a Pharisee, the other was a despised tax collector. So we've got two guys going to the temple to pray. One of them's the Pharisee. He's got to be the good guy in the story, right? He's the guy that knows all uh, 613 laws, and he, he's perfect at them. He's the guy that goes to the temple on a regular basis. He's the one who prays. Uh, he, he's the one who tithes. He's the one that does the right thing. He's got to be the good guy. We all cheer for the Pharisee when he walks in the room. Yay for the Pharisee. He's got to be the good guy in the story. We also have the tax collector. You might have the word publican in the version that you're reading out of this morning. He's got to be the bad guy in the story, right? He's got to be. He's the guy that when the Roman uh, government came in and, and conquered Israel, they, they established this really, really tough taxation system. And one of the things they did was they, they established it so that the Jewish people... Uh, there would be people in, in, uh, in Israel who would tax their own people. That was their job. So they were looked at as like traitors. And the standard operating procedure for a tax collector was to charge more than what the government had demanded. And so it was a lucrative, easy way to get rich. As long as you didn't mind selling out your countrymen, you could get rich doing this. It was uh, kind of like... Uh, an ancient version of our modern-day uh, politician who, who goes off to, to Washington, and somehow along the way, over a course of years, they come out just crazy rich because of a corrupt system. He's got to be the bad guy in the story, right? See him walk in, everybody boos. And you might know the story, right? You might know where this is going. But I'm going to ask you to imagine that you never heard this story before. You're hearing it for the first time. What are we expecting? Well, we're expecting the good guy to win. We're expecting the good guy to come out on top. He's got to be our hero. We're expecting God to give him a standing ovation. You're wonderful. And we're expecting God to strike down the bad guy with a bolt of lightning. How dare you come anywhere near the temple? That's what we're expecting not what happens. Two men 
Go to the temple to pray. One's a Pharisee, the other's a tax collector. The Pharisee, he stood by himself and he prayed this prayer. Oh, thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else. I don't cheat. I don't sin or do evil things. I don't commit adultery. I'm I'm certainly not like this tax collector over there. I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my income. Pharisee says, I thank you, God, that I am so amazing and wonderful. And he does look good. He sounds good. He does good. So what's the problem? Is the Pharisee in the wrong because he's not a murderer? Is he in the wrong because he's not a robber? Because he's not out there cheating on his wife? Is he in the wrong for those things? Should he stop fasting? Should he stop going to the temple? Should he stop praying? Should he stop tithing? The good things that he's doing is not the problem. We should all be doing the right thing, right? We, we all should be choosing the right thing over the wrong thing. We should be praying. We should be committed to gathering and, and tithing and, and obedience to God. We should be doing those things. The good things that he was doing is not the problem. The problem was his heart. You can, you can hear it in what he's saying. I thank you, God, and then it's all about him. He thinks that his righteousness makes him better than not just the tax collector, but everybody else. He thinks that his righteousness, the good things that he does, is what justifies him with God. But that's not what Scripture teaches, and that's not where this story is going in Ephesians chapter 2. Now, I'm going to read it to you. You're welcome to join me, but I'm coming right back to Luke, so just be prepared. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says that God saved you by His grace, not by your good works. He saved you, me, by His grace when you believe. Believe what? Believe in the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. That His death and, and blood that He shed for us on the cross was the substitute sacrificial payment that we needed to pay for our sin debt that we owe God, that we could not pay on our own. He says uh, in, in verse 8, you cannot take credit for this salvation. Why? It's a gift from God. It is a gift of God's grace. Verse 9, salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done. None of us can boast about it. But verse 10 is very important too. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew, brand new, in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things He has planned for us long ago. There's a full picture of justification and salvation and, and uh, the right perspective on good works in these verses. We're not saved from hell. We're not justified with God through good works. It's very clear about that. We're justified by the grace of God. Now, we talk about the word justified. That might be a new term for you. Justification is an action that God takes. When we believe in Jesus as our Savior, as our forgiver, God justifies us this way. He applies the righteousness of Jesus. Jesus is sinless. Jesus is perfect. We're not. But when we trust in Jesus, God takes the righteousness of Jesus, and He applies it to our account, our bankrupt account. 
And he sees the righteousness of Jesus when he looks at us. That's justification. It's an action that God takes by his grace through faith in Jesus. Salvation has nothing to do with our own righteousness. It is completely dependent on trusting Jesus to do what we cannot do for ourselves. Now listen, these verses do not eliminate the need to do the right thing. These verses don't give us an excuse to to be a lazy, apathetic Christian uh, that's not concerned about doing good. They just give us the right perspective on the good that we do. These verses remind us that good works, that right choices, we do them for God's glory, not for our own. That's what those verses teach us. They remind us that when we're full of ourselves, there's no room for God's grace. Go back to our story in Luke, verse 13, the tax collector. So we've seen the Pharisee, he's full of himself. In his mind, he doesn't need God's grace. He's so full of himself. We go over to the tax collector, verse 13. The tax collector stood at a distance. He dared not even lift up his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow. And this is what he said, O God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Jesus paints this picture of a man who knows that he needs God's grace, a man who knows that he needs God's mercy. He knows he's a sinner. He doesn't offer any excuses. He doesn't try to compare himself to anybody else, trying to find someone who's worse off than he is spiritually. He just simply, humbly asks God for mercy. And and who turns out to be the good guy in the story? Verse 14, I tell you, Jesus says, I tell you this, this sinner, not the Pharisee, the sinner returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. I want you to go back and look at verse 9 one more time. Why did Jesus tell this story? According to verse 9, He told the story because there were some in the audience who were filled with pride, who were looking down on others. That was the whole point of the story and why He told it. So here's the question for you. The question for me is this. Is it possible that we're the one in the audience that Jesus wants to talk to? Is it possible that there is pride hiding in our hearts and we somehow don't see it? It's in our blind spot. Is that a possibility? I think the story should make us want to say, whoa, 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 time out. This is the guy who was doing all the right stuff. He was was following the rules. He did the right thing. He's the bad guy. How is it that he didn't see pride in his life? How did that happen? There's a lot of talk in in the news about the virus every day, and so it seems like there are two categories of people who get infected, right? You have people who are infected, and they know because they're sick, and they feel miserable and whatever, they get in the hospital. But there's another group of people that apparently can get infected and don't know it. And Jesus uh, describes a scenario here in which it's possible that we, uh, our attitudes, our behaviors, our, uh, uh, our words are infected with pride and it's in the blind spot so we don't even know that it's happening. It's kind of scary. 
And why is it a problem? It's a problem because when we're full of ourselves, there's no room for God's grace. That's, a, that's an issue. So what do we do about it? How, how do we identify pride? How do we, when we do find it hiding in the corner, how do we get rid of it? I think Romans, we're done in Luke, I think Romans 12.3 gives us the answer that we're looking for. Would you join me there in Romans 12.3? I see two things in this verse that I think are going to be really helpful to us as we try to identify pride, as we try to put the spotlight on it and tell it to get out of our hearts and out of our lives. Romans 12.3 says, because, this is Paul writing to Roman Christians, he says, because of the privilege and authority, you might have the word grace, that God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Here it is. Don't think you are better than you really are. Don't think more highly of yourselves than you ought. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourself by the faith that God has given you. Two things that I see that will help us identify if pride is hiding and help us get rid of it. One, one is to be in this habit of heart evaluation. Talk about verse 9 uh, from Luke chapter 18. We see there that Jesus knows the heart, that he can see what's hiding in the blind spot. So it's important for us when we're evaluating our hearts that we get Jesus involved in that. You will deceive yourself. I will deceive myself nine times out of ten. We'll give ourselves a pass. We will rationalize our thoughts and behaviors. We will do that quickly and easily. It's important we get the Holy Spirit. It's important we get Jesus involved when we are evaluating the heart. So all what I'd like to do is, is walk down through what I would call a heart check, just some questions that we could ask ourselves as we evaluate our hearts with the help of Jesus, with the help of the Holy Spirit. Here's some questions that we could ask. How about this one? Do you feel good? about yourself because of what you have accomplished. Now, it's kind of a trick question, I'll admit. You have something good that happens at work. You know, you've done a really good job. You got a pat on the back. You got a promotion. You got a raise because you did a great job. Go to school and you work really hard and you make the honor roll, some achievement award, some scholarship. Maybe in, in the world of, of sports, uh, you had the winning run, the, the, the play that made the difference in the game. You got your name in the paper. There's a scholarship on the line, right? You've done a really good job in the world of sports. How about maybe your marriage, right? Your marriage is solid. You've been married 25 years. You've been married 50 years. You know what an accomplishment that is in our culture? Like half the marriages don't last, and a lot of them don't even get to seven years. It's a huge deal to make it 25, 50 years in a marriage. Maybe uh, you look at your kids and, uh, you know, they, they love Jesus. Uh, they're not, like, super rebellious. They, um, they, they do a good job in their schooling, whatever. They're growing up and they're good kids. Your finances, uh, you're not in debt. Like, you've went through that whole thing with the snowball and, and uh, you applied that and like you're debt free and, and that's a good thing, right? You've accomplished something good and it's not wrong to feel good about things that are good. It'd be kind of weird if you felt bad about things that are good in your life. 
It's not that we should feel humiliation like we should, oh, I feel so terrible. My marriage is so strong. I just feel awful about it. And I really wish my kids were more rebellious than they are. I really must be failing as a, as a parent. Cannot believe my boss gave me a raise. I'm such a loser. That'd be weird, right? It's not wrong to feel good about good things in our lives, but how do we view that success? It's good to have good things happen in your life, and sometimes they're connected to hard work and talent, all of that. But are we grateful to God for those successes? Do we give Him the glory for the accomplishment, or do we keep the glory for ourselves? See, there's a difference. Do we say, look at what I've accomplished through hard work and talent. Look at what I've done. Or is the heart attitude, or the words that come out of our mouths, more like, thank you, God, for what you've accomplished. Thank you for giving me talent, the opportunity, the, the mental, physical capacity to even do this. Thank you. See, when we're worried about our own glory, we tend to stop being worried about God's glory. We're, we're not concerned about His glory when we're focused on our own. So we have to remind ourselves often that every good thing in our life is a gift of God's grace. Even your faith, did you see that? In, in that verse, he says, uh, measure yourselves by the faith that God gave us. See, I think that was the Pharisee's problem. He thought he had figured it out. He was pretty proud of himself for being such a faithful guy. Can't even take credit for our faith, according to verse 3. We need to be thankful for that. How about this question? Do you find it hard to admit that you are wrong? We talked about that a little bit earlier. I was on vacation recently, and... Uh, the very first day we got there, I was taking chairs out to, to set up for my family on, on the beach. And so our house wasn't like right on the edge, like a row back. And so it came up, put the chairs out. And as I'm setting up the chairs, this guy who had rented a house like right on, like first row, came running down from his deck. And it started making a big scene about uh, us setting up chairs like right in front of his beach house. And... He thought that when he paid more uh, for the, the house right on the edge, that somehow that the beach in front, like there's an imaginary line, that that belonged to the rental. And that's not how it works, but he didn't know that, right? The beach is like belong to the state. So he doesn't know that. So he came down and, uh, and was making the scene about the chairs. And he said something along the lines, Do you realize that you've put your chairs right in front of my house. Yeah, I do. And, and so the, the conversation uh, devolved from there to the point where uh, he started to say, you got the whole beach. And I know where he was going with it. He was going to say, so find another spot. But I cut him off and I said, exactly, you've got the whole beach. So go find a, pla a place to put your chairs because I'm going to be here all week. Ooh. But don't worry, because I had my Grace Fellowship Church uh, shirt on, so I'm pretty confident he knew that my anger was righteous. That's the problem, right? My anger wasn't righteous. My attitude wasn't righteous. 
And so as I was sitting there, the Holy Spirit whispered to me, you need to move. You don't have to move far, but you need to move the chair. My response to the Holy Spirit in the moment was, what? Why? There is no reason I can't leave this spot. I have every right to be here. And the Holy Spirit says, Mark, you need to move the chair. The only reason you're sitting here is because of your pride. Move the chairs. Not far. We moved them as a gesture. The guy came down from the deck and uh, he came up and he apologized. Somehow he figured out, I don't know if he called someone, I don't know what happened, but he somehow uh, found out that he, you know, that's not how it works. But he came down and he apologized, I'm sorry. And I apologized to him, I'm really sorry. I should not have come back at you as hot as I did and, and I'm sorry. I really thought we were gonna hug it out uh, there for a minute. The corona seems to ruin everything. I really thought we had like a moment there that we were going to you know, embrace on the beach and be best friends. And it didn't happen. But you ever have a hard time admitting that you're wrong, saying that you're sorry? What is that? Sometimes I, I think that we feel these, uh, we experience frustration and irritation. And what it is, it's pride poking at us. It just fuels that anger and irritation to be more than what it needs to be. How about this question? Do you catch yourself, just a few more here, do you catch yourself finding faults in other people and kind of feeling good about it? Because as you compare yourself, as you compare your marriage, yeah, my marriage isn't perfect, but it's not a wreck like theirs. My kids aren't perfect, no, but whoo, I'm glad my kids aren't there. And that, that family might be struggling. They might be doing their best, and they're, and they're trying to work through it. And instead of feeling compassion and a little bit of brokenness over, man, God, just work in their lives, work in their marriage, work in, in their hearts. This pride, this weird thing that happens, like, I feel good about myself because you're a wreck. You get irritated when you're not noticed, like you really want the compliment, and you really get offended when you don't get it. You're constantly checking your social media. How many likes? How about this? Do you, try, do you try to find value and affirmation from others by having the right car, living in the right neighborhood, going to the right school, wearing the right clothes, and on and on it goes? Pride will try to convince us that our value is connected to those things, that our value is connected to the affirmation of other people instead of just being satisfied to find our value in a relationship with God who just absolutely is crazy about you. God's already placed tremendous value on your life. Is it enough? These heart check type of questions, and I'm sure that there would be more. Those are just a, a, a sampling these heart check questions, with the help of Jesus, with the help of the Spirit, I think can really help us identify some pride and allow Jesus to remove it, to undo it, to change it. Here's the second thing that I see in, these, in this uh, verse. It's this, just never stop chasing humility. He talks here about uh, don't think of yourselves 
more uh, highly than you should, better than you really are. Just constantly be chasing after humility. Don't ever stop finding your dependence on God, your gratitude to God. Keep chasing humility. See, when we're full of ourselves, there's no room for God's grace. So as we wrap up the series, I'm just going to ask you, think back everything we talked about today throughout this series. Is there something in your life, is there something in your heart that Jesus would want to undo, that Jesus would want to change? Let him change it. Don't try to do it on your own because that's what pride does. Pride says, I got this. I can change this. I don't need God's help. You do need God's help. We all do. Lay down the pride, ask Jesus to remove it, and let him do the change in your heart and your life that needs to happen. Let me pray for you.